Life is a journey from one place to the next, always in continual motion. Some seasons are filled with awe and wonder, while some are filled with hardship and pain, each step more difficult than the last. Still, the journey doesn't end. It's always moving forward. You find strength in your feet striking the pavement, one step at a time, as you become closer and closer to your destination. All the while being guided by this still, soft voice that says, keep going, we're getting closer, you're almost there. Y'all good? Did you good? And I'm excited to be here, glad you're here. Um, looking forward to continuing this series, Taking Ground, today. Um, I don't know if you've been by the land recently, but there is actually dirt being moved. Uh, so that's exciting. And uh, exciting to see that taking place. Um, I think they've been working on the retention pond for about two weeks. So we're going to have an awesome retention pond uh, if we don't have anything else. But, uh, but it's, it's starting to take shape, and it's exciting to see that. What's more exciting than that, though, is to think about what God's going to do. Um, through that property and on that property and how he's going to use that place to be a launching pad for the gospel to go out into the world. And so I'm excited about that. If you haven't been by there, go by, check it out. Um, it's pretty cool to see what God's doing and, and how it's um, beginning to take form. So, um, and with that, we started this series on the day we did our groundbreaking um, and we called it taking ground because we never wanted um, just to build a building, um, just to take, uh, just to, to be breaking ground and have a physical building. We always wanted to take spiritual ground for the kingdom. We felt like that's why God called us to start this church. And so this series taking ground is about how do we take ground for the the kingdom of God? And we've been looking at how God um, walks us through this, how he takes us um, into the world and how we take ground spiritually. And today we're going to talk about the, well, it it is the point. um, And and we're just, we're going to talk just straight about the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus. And that's what takes ground for the kingdom is the preaching of the word of God. And we're going to do that out of uh, Joshua chapter 5 and 6. We're going to be beginning in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. And we're going to read through almost the whole chapter of uh, Joshua chapter 6. And, and I want you to see this. As I studied this this week, you know, every word points to Jesus in, this, in the Bible. Every word, every letter points to the gospel. It points to Christ. Um, but I can tell you that when I studied this again in the last really three or four weeks, I've never seen the gospel as clearly um, in this text as I've seen it the last few weeks. And so I'm very excited about this and I want you to see this. And I hope that today our eyes will be open, that we can have a clear revelation of who Jesus is because of what was written um, in the book of Joshua. So I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about that, right? Yeah, amen. And we should probably stand up, do some jumping jacks, let you guys run around, you know, get our blood flowing because we're here in the house of God. It's an awesome day. The spirit of God is here. He is faithful that we're two or three gather in his name. He is there. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do and what he's going to do in our hearts today as we open up his word. So let's look at Joshua chapter five, verse 13. And we're just going to read right now. We're going to read down through. Chapter six, uh, verse five. All right, here we go. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. That's never good, right? I mean, it seems like that is not a good thing to see. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? You know, right now he's like, please, Lord, be for us, right? He's praying. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Just to give you a little background in case you haven't been here. This is after the Israelites have uh, crossed over the Jordan River. They're going into the promised land, the land of Canaan that God had promised them um, years before that he would give them. And they're about to get, they're going into this land. They're about to fight their first battle on this side of the Jordan after they've crossed the land. And what we're seeing here, this is after they were recircumcised or after they were circumcised and after um, that covenant was renewed. And now they're about to go and fight their first battle. So Joshua has this encounter with this commander of the Lord's army. He says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So let's pray and we'll get going. God, we thank you so much for this day, this opportunity to open your word. God, I pray today that we would experience once again how living and active it truly is. I pray today our hearts would be open to receive your word and that would sink deep in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. God, do what only you can do today, and that's change hearts. Change our hearts to be even more like Christ. Help us to grow into the identity you've already given us, God, through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you are actually able to uh, have a clear recall of the 90s? Like, how, how many of you are old enough that you remember the 90s pretty well? You know, you weren't like a baby or, yeah, this is nine o'clock, so we probably have a few more. Some of you may not remember the 90s for other reasons, but, but just, I'm talking age-wise right now. And so we remember the 90s and there was a lot of things, you know, it wasn't quite as bad as the 80s, right? There were some really funky things in the 80s and we kind of came out of it a little bit in the 90s, but there were some things. And, and one of the things that I remember vividly um, from the 90s was when these certain Certain um, pictures became very popular. And I went and looked up some of these pictures this week, and I thought I would show a few of them to you just to see if you can remember these. But anybody remember some of these pictures that became popular back in the 90s? Anybody remember those? Those things that you just had, you, you were supposed to stare at them, and if you stared at them long enough, you're supposed to see stuff, right? And so you would have to, and they're called like auto stereographs or grams or eye pictures or something like that, right? And so th- th- there were people that would make these and then you would have them and people were buying them like crazy. And, and you go over to somebody's house and they're like, stare at this and, and you'll see dolphins. And all I saw was dots. And I get so aggravated. And then finally, I like, I would do something just right. I would see it. And then I try to focus on it and it'd go away. It was so frustrating. I never could see it. Some of you might be able to see that. I don't know. You might be able to see it right there. You might be like, oh, that's beautiful. I don't see anything, right? And, but, but if you stared at it long enough, there's probably several others, I think, that we had. All these different things that it's supposed like, what is that? And so if you stare at it long enough, supposedly this picture is supposed to take shape and you'll eventually see um, some type of shape, some type of object, some 
picture that this artist put in the background that your eyes finally begin to see. I would liken that to the book of Joshua, um, especially in these chapters and liken it to the gospel. As you stare at these chapters and you begin to look at the end of chapter five, you begin to look at chapter six. The longer you look at it, the longer you study it, the longer you read it, the, the more you begin to dig into it, the more clearly you begin to see the gospel in this. And I want you to see this today. I want you to understand this. And I want you to understand it really in two ways. I want to look at two different people that are in this text. And I want you to see how God, all these years before, was foreshadowing, was giving us this hint, a little bit of a revelation of what Jesus was going to do for us. And we're going to begin that by looking at the life of Joshua. We're going to begin looking at him because, as I said, every letter points us back to Jesus. Every letter of the Bible is pointing us to the gospel. It's pointing us to Jesus. And in this text, I want you to know that Joshua's name actually means Jehovah is salvation. And when you look at the name of Jesus, his name actually means Jehovah is salvation. And so it's as if God's dropping these little hints going, okay, pay attention to this. Look at this. This is important. And when we get to Joshua uh, chapter 5 verse 13, uh, we begin to see some things taking place in Joshua's life that God's doing in and through Joshua that he also did in and through Jesus. And the first one I want you to see is in this text that we just read. Because here's what Joshua has done. He has come into contact with the commander of the Lord's army. Many people believe that this was like a Christophany, which is a big word that means that this was a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus to Joshua, right? And so they believe that this was actually Jesus pre-incarnate came and visited Joshua. They say that because when um, Joshua begins to worship him, he doesn't reject his worship. But if he wasn't God and no angel would have received worship, he would have been like, get on your feet. I'm just an angel, right? And so many people believe this, that this is actually Jesus who comes and visits him. And so he comes and he's like, Joshua's out at Gilgal or not, no longer in Gilgal. He's right there around Jericho. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but as soon as they cross the Jordan river, they get across the Jordan and they're all high-fiving and they're chest bumping. And then they turn around and they see Jericho. Well, Joshua being the commander of the Israelite army, he comes and he's like, I need to go check this out. So he goes and he begins to look around Jericho. He begins to take, uh, observe the place and he begins to see what kind of battle plan can we have. And you know, this was probably the most fortified city in the land of Canaan, this land that they were about to take. It would have been like somebody coming and, and trying to figure out how can I take the United States, the greatest military power in the world. And so he begins to look and he know, you know that he knows he's about to lead his people into battle against this city in Jericho. Can you imagine the knot that was in his stomach? Have you ever been in that place where you're about to do something? I don't know, maybe you had an opportunity to do some public speaking. You don't like public speaking. And right before you walked out, you're like, I think I'm going to throw up. Right? That's kind of like I feel every Sunday. I think I'm going to throw up. Back there, got the trash can, you know, and, 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 and it, here's Joshua, you know, he had this knot in his stomach. And so this angel of the Lord, the commander of the army of the Lord appears to him and, and he's like, are you for us or against us? Joshua asked him, right? You know, he's praying like, please be for us, please be for us, please be for us. And then he goes, I'm neither for you nor against you, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And then he begins to worship him. And what this, this, this commander of the army of the Lord, this pre-incarnate Christ is saying is, listen, I'm not here to do your will, Joshua. I'm not here to do the will of the Canaanites. I'm here to do the will of God. And this is one thing we begin to see that Joshua is very much like Jesus. And the first thing I would even tell you to write down is this, that Joshua submitted to God's plan. Joshua submitted to the plan of God. And, and so did Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to the plan of God. 
You know, Joshua was excited as he's standing around Jericho and he's looking at, at Jericho and he's thinking, how are we going to do this? He's like, we could try to starve them out. We could just surround the place, not let anybody in or anybody out. And we could try to starve them out and maybe they'll all just die. And then we can go in and get the city. We could take and put up siege ramps up on the walls like they would do in those days. And they would try to just run up the ramps and get over the walls. He's like, we could probably do that, but we're not really armed and we're not really equipped to be able to do that. We could try it, but I don't know if it's going to work. And he's trying to figure out how do I keep all my people from get, being killed and still do what God's called me to do. And then this angel appears and goes, listen, God's got a plan. And you know, Joshua was like, this is awesome. Thank God he has a plan because I was wondering what I was going to do. And then he begins to roll out the plan. And as he begins to roll it out, you know, Joshua's heart had to sink because he's like, really? This is the plan, right? And, and, and listen to the plan one more time. We're going to march around the city once with the armed men. We're going to do this for six days. And then we're going to have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. But listen, listen, this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. On the seventh day, we're going to march around the city seven times. And then the priests are going to blow the trumpet. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, all the people are going to give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city is going to fall and they're going to go up every single man. And we're going to take the city. There you go. Go get them, Joshua. Right? And Joshua, you know, his st- the knot came back worse than it was before. And he's like, what? We're going to, it'd be like SEAL Team 6 marching around Osama bin Laden's house with a marching band. And then like, yeah, and the house falling down and killing Osama bin Laden, right? Like nobody would do that. And so this guy's calling, or, or this encounter is telling Joshua, this is the plan. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing that I would tell you is that Joshua became submitted to God's plan. So did Jesus. See, Jesus submitted to God's plan. Jesus fought according to God's plan because he knew this, just like with Joshua, there was no other way for them to win this battle. There was no other way for them to possibly be able to knock down the walls of Jericho. There was no way for them to to defeat the Canaanites on their own. And see, here's the reality with Jesus. There was only one way for him to win this battle. It's to submit to God's plan. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And we read in scripture where Jesus willingly submitted his life. He said, nobody can take my life for me, but I will lay it down for people. I'm going to give myself for people. And so here's the thing that we have to realize and where we see the gospel in this is as Jesus submitted his life, we have to realize that salvation is only according to God's plan. And the reality of it is because we like to be in control. Many of us, even us who are Christians, we constantly try to go back and fight the battle our way, don't we? We try to fight it our way. It's like we try to stay in control. We try to do enough good things to try to make God like us or love us. Listen, you never deserve God's grace. We'll never deserve God's grace. God's grace came only because God said, I love you. And people are like, well, why does God love me? Because he loves you. But why? Because he does. Because he's God, right? (laughs) And so he just loves and he just gave. And there's one way to win this battle with sin. And that is through Christ. And Jesus submitted to the plan of God. See, we have to realize that just like the Israelites were not equipped to be able to go and fight against those people in Jericho, we're not equipped to fight against sin. There's no way we can win. That's why God had to send his son. He had to take on flesh and he had to win the battle for us because we can't do it. We can't do it. One of the greatest revelations you will ever have is when you realize it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. 
And we begin to live out of that rather than trying to live in a way that somehow keeps God happy. We've got to come to this place where we realize that God just loves us because he loves us. And when we focus on that love, he begins to change our lives. Listen, as you go on down and you get into verses 6 and it's down through 10, it's kind of like the plan gets repeated. So Joshua comes and he tells the priests the plan and then he goes in aid and he begins to speak to the people. But he only tells them, listen, we're going to walk around this thing one time and then um, we're going to do this today. And then so he, he begins to tell them the plan. And then in verse 11, this is what... He says, or the Bible says, it says, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. So they've started this great military plan and they march around this city one time. And then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Now put yourself in these people's shoes because many times we just read it and we don't really think about what would it be like if I were there. Can you imagine if you're these people, Joshua comes back with this great military plan. We're going to walk around the city with a marching band. We're going to carry a box and then, you know, it's going to be awesome. And they do this one day. Maybe they buy in one day because they're like, you know, he did part the Jordan. You might as well see what happens. And they walk around the city one time and then they come back to camp and you know, they were all like, what the heck? Is this it? Is this really it? But see, here's the thing that often happens to us is we just don't finish the plan. This is the second thing that I see that Joshua has in common with Jesus is that Joshua finished the plan. He didn't stop short. He didn't quit. He kept going. How frustrated would the Israelites have been that we're walking around this city. We've got this incredible army in front of us. We need to take this city and we're walking around with trumpets in this box and, and now... What are we going to do? Yet Joshua didn't stop short. And the good news is that Jesus didn't stop short either. And we know that sometimes we think that Jesus was just like, skippity dude, ah, skippity yay. I get to die on the cross today, right? It's like, it's not that that just came to me. I might be in the wrong line of work. I should be the next Dr. Seuss or something like that, shouldn't I? And so he's like, I just, it just, you know, it it wasn't this joy. We even know that Jesus was like asking God, the father, if there's another way, let me do it, please. Is there another way that this could be done? Is there a possibility? If there's plan B, I'm all about plan B, but there wasn't plan B. And so Jesus again, submitted his will to God's. He submitted his plan to God's and Jesus finished the plan. He finished it. And the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What joy was there in the cross? None. But what came after the cross is what Jesus found such great joy in. And that was a reconciled relationship with you and I. It was what he did. And Jesus finished the plan. Joshua finished the plan. They had to keep marching. They had to keep walking. They had to keep going with the plan of God. Jesus kept walking. He set his face toward Jerusalem and he kept moving towards the cross. He kept going until he finished the plan. Because see, here's the reality, guys. It didn't matter if Jesus just lived, right? He could have just lived, but it didn't matter. It didn't even matter if he lived forever. It didn't matter. It didn't matter even if Jesus just died. If he just died, if he just lived and then he died, it didn't matter. 
And in fact, it didn't really matter if Jesus just lived and then died and then was raised to life. It really didn't matter. If he just did that, we would be wasting our time sitting here today. Because here's the reality. Jesus not only had to live, he not only had to die, and he not only had to be raised, but he had to go to the cross. Someone worthy to die for our sins. Someone who was perfect and sinless had to die for our sins. Someone who was perfect and sinless, who was a worthy sacrifice, who could take our sin upon himself. Someone who is worthy and sinless and would be a perfect sacrifice who could take our sin upon himself and then take the punishment that we deserve had to come and had to go to the cross and had to die so that you and I wouldn't have to be punished. See, God is a just God and he has to punish sin and he has to work his justice. And here's the reality, guys. Here's the reality. If Jesus didn't do all of that, if he didn't complete the plan, there is no way he could have said on the cross what he said when he said it is finished. But he finished his work. He finished the plan. He completed the plan. He finished it all. He left not one thing to be undone so that the work of Jesus is now done. Joshua's work was done. When they walked around those walls seven times on the seventh day, you know, the people are like, we just got to walk more and more and more. This guy don't know what he's doing. He's lost his mind. And then finally they shouted and the walls fell and they went up and you were like, like, wow. Right? And and we see this taking place, but they had to finish the plan. Jesus had to finish the plan because we are unequipped to do what needed to be done. Only Jesus did it and only Jesus could have done it. This is in Joshua chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted, devoted to the Lord. And listen, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. So now we're introduced to this next person, right? This, this, this prostitute named Rahab. If you go back to Joshua 2, this is where we see Rahab being introduced into this story, into this account of what God's doing. And these spies were sent, much like Moses sent spies into the land of Canaan to spy it out. Joshua sent two spies in to go and see what's going on in Jericho, right? And, and then they, when they go in, they end up in this prostitute's house named Rahab. I don't know why they went to the prostitute's house. I'm not going to, that might be another message sometime, right? But what I'm telling you is they ended up in this prostitute's house. And instead of turning them over to the authorities, to the king, what they ended up, she ended up doing was hiding them and basically saved their life. And so here's the thing that we begin to see is that as these Israelites marched around, As they begin to go around the city and they shouted and the walls fell down. We see this. And this is the third thing I would tell you is that through his obedience, Joshua rescued Rahab. Joshua rescued Rahab. And see, here's here's the reality. And here's the thing that we have got to see. Is that in the same way Joshua rescued Rahab, Jesus rescued us. In the same way that Joshua rescued Rahab, Jesus rescued us. Us And through his obedience, Joshua rescued Rahab. Through his obedience, Jesus rescued us. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus was obedient even to death on the cross. It was no ordinary death. It was death 
on the cross. And see, here's the thing that we miss sometimes is because the, the Jewish people had a saying that cursed is he who hangs on the tree. And what that meant was if you, you get crucified, you get, you die like way, it was seen as being cursed. And so here's the crazy thing. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. But the one who knew no sin became a curse so that you and I could become blessed by God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing to see what Jesus did through his obedience so that he could rescue us? And see, here's the reality of it, folks, that he was bound so we could be set free. He was judged so that we could be pardoned. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He became nothing so that we could gain everything. He was forsaken so that we would never be separated from him. He died so that we could live and he was buried so that we could rise. Jesus did all of that for us because he became obedient to God. He he fulfilled the plan of God. And in this, we see that he rescued us in the same way that Joshua rescued Rahab. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing that God has done. And now we see this lady Rahab, this prostitute come into the picture. And I would tell you this, just as much as Joshua is sort of a prototype, a foreshadowing of Jesus, I believe Rahab is a picture, a prototype, a a, a picture of humanity. You know, she came in, she's this prostitute. And, and here's the great thing you can go tell people at lunch is how was the message today when people ask you, what did he talk about? He said, man, the message was great. He told us we're all prostitutes, right? It was awesome. Greatest message I've ever heard, right? And so we begin to see this, that, that, that Rahab comes into the picture, this prostitute. And, and here's the thing I want you to see out of those same verses. What was it that saved Rahab? Was it because she hid the spies? I mean, they give credit to that. That's what she did, right? I would tell you, no, I don't believe it was because of what she did. I believe it was because of who she knew. And I don't believe that was just the spies. I believe she had a great revelation of God. In fact, I would tell you the first way that I see us being like Rahab is that Rahab was saved because of her belief. Rahab was saved because of her faith. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't see anything where she really professes God. But if you look back into Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, listen, when the spies come to her, this is what she says about them once they crossed over the Jordan. She says, when we heard of it, you're crossing over into the Jordan, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What happened with Rahab? She realized who God really is. She realized that it's not these pagan gods that these people in Canaan are serving. There's one true God and in him, I will put my faith. I will trust in him. I'm not trusting in the king. I'm not trusting in the king's men. I'm going to trust in this God that parts rivers and that created the heavens and the earth. That's the God I'm going to trust in. And she begins to put her faith and her trust in him. And it was not because of what she did that resulted in her deliverance and her salvation. It was what she believed. And it was her belief that caused her to do what she did. But see, we get that backwards so many times. We like to be in control. We like to do so that we can then believe. So many of us have been going to church. We've been doing all these things. We've been trying to make ourselves read the Bible. We've been trying to do all these things, thinking that if I do enough, maybe then I'll know. But the reality of it is, until we know, we won't ever do, right? It doesn't work into us. It works out of us. God's got to get in so he can work out. This is what happened with Rahab. She began to see this. It's why so many of us are disillusioned by church is because we've been trying to work it in all of our lives instead of surrendering to God's plan and saying, I know this is the only way. I just receive it by grace. I watch, especially young men, because young men, you know, they're full of testosterone and all this other stuff. And so they're ready to go. They're ready to, to take on the world and they get saved. They're like, I can do this. 
And I was one of those young men, right? But the reality of it is, and I tell them this when I see this, I say, listen, you're going to come to a point in your life where you're going to either walk away from God because this yoke of, of legalism and this yoke of rule following is going to be so heavy on you that you can't bear it. Or you're going to realize that this thing is by grace and you're going to finally realize that this was something that Jesus did and you can't do. And God's going to begin to work out of you what he's put into you. But we can't carry that burden. We can't carry that yoke. We can't carry it. That's why Jesus had to carry it for us. And we see that just as Joshua saved Rahab and just as Rahab was saved by her faith, so we are saved by our faith in what Jesus did for us. That's how we're saved. But we oftentimes get this backwards. Look at 18 through 19. Joshua tells them, but keep away from the devoted things. These things that were devoted to other gods. Right? And these things that were to be now devoted only to the one true God. He says, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. That's important. That you won't bring about your own destruction. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. The second thing I would tell you that we see in this, in these people that are in Canaan, and we begin to see through the life of Rahab, we're going to see it more clearly in just a minute, is this one thing. That when we are disobedient to God and we reject God, sin always leads to death. It always leads to death. How many of you have tried living your own way, right? You tried doing things your own way. You tried living like you want to live. You tried just, God, I'll get to you later. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, let me ask you, how did that turn out? Not good. Because when we leave are left to ourselves, when we begin to follow our own desires, when we begin to follow our own heart, you always hear people just follow, follow your heart. That's like the worst advice you could ever give anybody because we hear in the book of Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. We need to be following God. We need to be following Jesus because sin always leads to death. And we see this so clearly. This was a warning against rejecting God. It's like when we give warnings to our kids, right? Like we should have just named our three kids, not now, stop that, and we'll see. Right? Daddy, can we? Not now. Stop that. Listen, we'll see. We'll see. And they always hear we'll see as like, yes, right? And so we should have just named them that. But, but what ends up happening is when you say stop that, don't get on that, don't climb that, get down, right? And then you're, you're like, okay. And then they fall. And you don't even move, do you? You're just like, I told you. Just walk out of the room. You're like, I told you, right? I told you. Because I told you what was going to happen. All throughout scripture, God says, if you go your own way and you choose sin, it's going to lead to destruction. It always leads to death. Sin always leads us to death. And we have to realize this, that we're all dead. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we have to realize this, listen, this, this, is, this is important, that none of us are so much better than Rahab that we don't need to be rescued, and that none of us are so much worse than Rahab that rescue has become impossible. And for some of us, we need to hear the latter, that listen, you're not so far gone that Jesus can't rescue you. The fact that I'm standing here right now is evidence of that. The fact that many of you are sitting here right now, and I won't point fingers, but it's evidence that no one is beyond rescue by God. But here's what some of us also need to hear. 
But none of us are so good that we don't need to be rescued. On a daily basis by Jesus. You can say, well, I'm not bad as Rahab. I mean, I've never been a prostitute. Absolutely you have. We've all been spiritual prostitutes. We've all given ourselves to everything that glittered and everything that shined and everything that we thought would make us happy. And we've prostituted ourselves away from God and to all these other things. We, exactly like Rahab, need to be rescued by a Savior who has the ability to do the rescue. We've all been there. Not one of us. We, listen, we, we love to think of ourselves as Joshua's. We love to think of ourselves as Joshua's, don't we? Well, well God's called me to be a Joshua. Well, just don't ever forget that before you could become a Joshua, you were a Rahab. And before, don't, don't, don't forget, don't forget that apart from God's grace and apart from the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you're still Rahab. That's all of us. We can't forget what God's brought us from. And for many of us, this is, this is the deal. We've been hanging around the camp so long. We've been hanging around church so long. We've been hanging around God's people so long, right? All the Israelites hanging around each other that, that somehow we've forgotten the miracle that God did when he took us from Rahab to the righteousness of Christ. And it's the reason that we don't have awe anymore of God. It's the reason that our worship becomes dead where it just becomes songs that we sing all Sunday, Right? It's why the the word becomes stale. It's because we're no longer in awe of the miracle that God did when he took us from Rahab, the prostitute, to the righteousness of Jesus. When we begin to realize that and we dive back into that, we have to see that God is still doing that. He's still doing that in our life. That's why we started this church. We didn't start this church for those who were healthy. We started this church for those who were sick. We didn't start this church for people who don't think their feet don't stink, right? I don't like feet. We started this church for the Rahabs. Because this is what we know. Because this is what we've seen. And this is what we've experienced. That God can take the worst of sinner and he can make them into his righteousness. That God can put something in us that is bigger than the things we've done. He can put something in us called the Holy Spirit that is greater than he who is in the world. And he he can begin to work that out of us to do something great through us. So that a trophy of grace comes out of Rahab the prostitute. And we begin to see that in our own lives. And that's what God does. So in regards to this section, we see that Rahab was saved by, because of her belief, because of her faith, we see that sin leads to death. He's warning them, don't do that. Don't take these things. Don't reject God and begin to go after other gods. In verse 19, he says, all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They must go into his treasury. And then if you keep reading, it says, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, all the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had gone, had done the spying, went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a camp, in a place outside the camp of Israel. The third thing I would tell you is there's going to be judgment of sin. There's going to be judgment of sin. And listen, because God is just. 
because God is right, because he is good, he has to judge sin. If God didn't judge sin, he would no longer, and he didn't punish sin, he would no longer be just and he would no longer be right because he didn't do the right thing. And see, listen, this is no longer PC to talk about in church, but it is biblical. It's no longer PC to talk about the judgment. It's no longer uh, PC to talk about that we will be judged. It's no longer PC to talk about the fact that there is a hell. But there is a hell. It is hot and it lasts a really long time. And the reality of it is, guys, that hell is actually this black backdrop upon which we can see the good news of Jesus in the light of Christ. Because if we got what we deserve, we'd all end up there. But because Jesus took our judgment, because Jesus took our punishment, and when our faith is placed in him, his righteousness comes to us, we don't have to be punished. Because Jesus took the punishment that was rightfully ours, that we should have had. And see, Rahab is a picture of what was available to all of Canaan. Rahab is a picture that, listen... The one true God is coming. What did Rahab do? She said, yes, come God into my life. What did everybody else do? They blocked him out. Rahab was rescued. And we see in this picture, a great picture of grace and mercy where Rahab is rescued out of her sin. Yes, even the sin of prostitution. And she's made a part of the people of God. What an awesome thing to see. And then look at the last verse here in this chapter. Verse 25. It says, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And so in this, listen, we see the judgment of sin. Number three was judgment of sin. This is what we begin to see in number four. We begin to see Rahab's new identity. This is probably my favorite thing because she goes from prostitute to a part of the people of God. And it says in the Bible that she's lived with these people to this day, basically until the time of this writing, like she's not still alive, right? But she's lived with the people of God until the time of the writing of this book. And she became a new person. She gained a new identity. In fact, if you look ahead a few thousand years, right? Over 2000 years, what you begin to see, or at least several hundred years, what you begin to see in the book of Matthew, chapter one. I want you to listen to this. This is that part of the book of Matthew you skip over called the lineage, right? It says in Matthew 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. This is what you read when you read it in the King James Version that Abraham begot Isaac, right? And you're like, begot, what does begot mean? Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of yeah, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Wait, wait, wait. Salmon, the father, not the fish, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know what's interesting? It doesn't say... Simon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was the prostitute Rahab. It just says Rahab. I believe this. I believe she had a new identity. I believe she became a new person. I believe it used the word prostitute, one, because it's not nice to call Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother a prostitute, right? There's probably some pretty harsh punishment for that. But the reality of it is she became a new person. She became a part of the people of God. God grafted her into 
these people. And she ended up in the lineage of Jesus. That is wild and that is impressive. And it is a testimony to the power of God's grace. But then you flip over to the book of Hebrews. And listen, in this Hebrews chapter 11, this what many people call the hall of faith. It talks about the great faith of the, 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 the uh, saints who had lived um, back in the Old Testament days. And in verse 31, listen to what it says. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Doesn't that still call her a prostitute? But see, if you read it in the context with the rest of this chapter, here's the thing that we see. It's not focusing on the prostitution. It's not focusing on her past life. It's focusing on the power of God who through faith makes us a new person. It's focusing on the power of God who through faith takes this prostitute and uses her for his kingdom. It's showing us the power of God's grace in our life when we simply say yes to his plan and to his work and to what he's done for us. Yes, to the finished work of Jesus. The last thing I want to tell you, this is back in Joshua chapter six and we're going to wrap this up. I want to go back and I want to look at chapter six verses one and two real quick. This is what the Bible says. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites No one went out and no one came in. When I read that this week, I thought, you know, I wonder how many people's hearts are like that. See, is your heart like, like, like Rahab in contrast to these walls being tightly shut? We have Rahab who we know had a scarlet thread tied in her window. That was how the spies and the people of Israel were to recognize who she was. So are we more like the walls of Jericho where we've closed ourselves off to God and his plan and what he wants to do in our lives? Or are we more like Rahab who says, my window is open and I'm going to trust in Christ. I'm going to trust in the God of the universe. I'm going to trust in the God of heaven and earth. Let me ask you this. Which one are you? Are you willing to say, yeah, I need God's plan in my life. I need, man, (laughs) there's only one way and I need that way. And his name is Jesus. And I want him to be a part of my life. See, for some of us, we we don't know him. We've never had a relationship with him. And, And today the reality is we need to open up our hearts. We need to open the gates, right? We need to open the door so that he can come in, so that he can begin to speak, so he can begin to have his way. And some of us have never done that before. And we may have been around the people of God, but we've never realized that I was, I am Rahab and I need to be saved. But then there's others of us who are sitting here today who there's something that God's desiring to do in your heart. There's something God desires to do in your life and you've been fighting for a long time. So you've just closed off your heart. It might be forgiving somebody in your life. It might be taking a step of faith to do something that you don't believe. It might be something that, that God's put in your heart, put in your life that you know I've been resisting him and I've closed off my heart for a long, long time. But today is the day that God's going, are you ever going to open this door? And today's the day that we need to become like Rahab where we say, yes, God. I want your plan in my life. I want to do what you have called me to do. See, many of us need to realize that we may have walked around the city one time, maybe two times and got frustrated. And what I would encourage you to do is just to say, keep walking. Just keep walking. Understand that God is faithful. If you'll just keep walking, he will do what he's promised to do. You just keep walking. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings, its king and its fighting men. Here's what's awesome. Before Jericho ever went into battle, God had already won the victory. Isn't that cool? 
Before, before, before Joshua ever went to fight against Jericho, God, he's like, I've already given it into your hands. It's already yours. All you've got to do is receive what I'm going to give you. And that's such a perfect picture of what God's done for us. He did it all through Jesus. He did it all for us. And now all we have to do is receive. The victory is already won. In fact, as a Christian, you don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. Because God's already done it. All we have to do is say yes. Whether you've never believed in Christ, you've never put your faith in God's plan, you've never said yes to what he's done in your, for you and, and, and for creation who will accept him. And just say yes to his invitation or whether you're a person who's sitting here knowing I need to take this step of faith, I need to do this, I need to start this, I need to get rid of this, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life. And you probably know that right now. But wherever you're at, the battle's been won. All we have to do is say yes to the plan of God. And so what I want to do, I want to just pray real quick. I want to pray for anybody here today that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus. He's never been rescued from their sin. He's never said yes to the invitation that Jesus gives us. See, I would encourage you, if right now you know that and, and there's something in your heart saying, I, I need to respond to this, I want to encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take that next step and say yes to the invitation of God. Say yes to his plan. Surrender to his plan. If you know Christ, then this prayer, I'm going to ask you that you'd be praying that they have the courage to respond. And while I'm praying, if that's you and you would say yes to his invitation today, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet while I'm praying. Just stand to your feet and remain standing. And then we're going to celebrate with you. So I'm going to pray. I'm asking you today. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart to respond to him for rescue. You've never known him. You've never had a relationship with him. But today you say, yes, I want to know him. And you stand when I pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your life. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you came to rescue us. You came to give us life. You became bound, Lord, so that we could be set free. You became bound, Lord, so that we could be unchained. From our sin and from death, God, you were buried so that we could rise. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to speak to people's hearts. They would have courage to respond. And they would sense you knocking on the door of their heart and they would open their heart to receive what you've already done, the victory that you've already won. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you because you are good. You are the great rescuer. You are our salvation. Jehovah is salvation. God, thank you that you saved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, friend, can we pray with you? Would you let us do that today? Um, Mr. Frank, would, would you take this young man and just... If you don't mind letting us pray with you and talk to you, just letting us help you take your next steps, man. This isn't the end of a journey. This is the beginning of a new life. And we want to walk that through with you. And the best is yet to come. God's got a good plan. It's exciting. This is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do at this church is to see people come to know him and to see people begin to walk that out. There's one more thing I do want to do, though. For some of us, we just need prayer and courage to take our next step. I never really want to leave this service without being able to say, man, listen, we're here with you. We're walking with you. We're, 
I'm not up here preaching at you. I'm walking through this with you. And I want to pray for you today. If you would say, yeah, I just want prayer. And there's, there's something God's been putting on my heart. I know I'm called to. I know I'm called to do. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know I just want to say yes to his plan today. I want to be used as Joshua. I want to be that trophy of grace that God takes, that, that Rahab that God takes and he uses as a Joshua in somebody else's life. And you know there's something in your heart that you want to do, but you just want some prayer for that today. I'd like to ask you just to stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet and let us pray with you. Let us agree with you as the people of God, as the family of God. This is where the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's in this gathering and he's in you. Let's pray and ask God that he would just stir that up in us so that we can have courage and boldness to carry out the plan that he's put before us. Jesus, we thank you for your life and your grace in our lives. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit right now. We thank you that he is alive in us. And I pray right now, God, that we would uh, just have him stirred up in us, just in our spirit, that that he would begin to stir and that he would begin to grow. And God, that it would be as, as, as the gospel of John says, that rivers of living water would flow from us and that great courage and boldness would arise We would have great wisdom, we'd have zeal, and we would be ready to go and to do the plan that you've given us. We surrender to that today, God. Whatever it is, God, we come to you with open hands and say, God, whatever it is you want us to do, we are here and we are available. God, use us for your glory. Use us in the lives of people. And God, let us be a part of you changing the face of the earth for your glory right here in our own community and to the ends of the earth. We love you, Jesus. I thank you for these people. I love them, God. I pray that your love will become more and more real in them and that you would carry them when they feel as though they can't take another step. In Jesus' name.